welcome to Reflection Time, the program that looks at world events and everyday issues through the eyes of the scriptures, and as well shares with you some inspirational music. Welcome to Reflection Time. Glad you've tuned into the program uh, to join us today. On our program, we'll be having a couple of our regular features, uh, the Lifeline Productions Health Information, as well as uh, an amazing fact. As well, in our first hour, we'll be looking at uh, an issue that we want to spend a couple programs uh, on over this winter, uh, and that is around the ecumenical movement. Some of the... um, features that are involved in that, uh, some of the highlights. And in today's program, we specifically want to look at uh, a couple of news headlines that we've seen lately that pertain to this. And uh, again, look at them from a, a biblical viewpoint. But first, we're going to start out with a song uh, by a group by the name of Soul Influence from Toronto. And the song is entitled John the Revelator, which ties nicely in with our discussion today. Upon the Isle of Patmos, a man was cast one day. As he was left alone to die, he began to pray. The Holy Ghost fell on him, the Spirit came down. He began to write about things he saw. The Revelator's name was John. John the Revelator, he saw Jerusalem coming down. I say John. John the Revelator. Come on, talk about John. John the 
It seems to be of late over the past couple of years, people have tried to increase their fruit consumption. On our Lifeline production today, we will be hearing some information on the subject of blueberries, and uh, it's something that's uh, very plentiful to us here in uh, Newfoundland. Certainly something that's uh, enjoyed by many and uh, goes very well in fruit smoothies. So here's Lifeline Productions. Blueberries are more than just yummy. They have amazing health benefits. This is Dr. Elmar Sakala for Lifelines. Did you know that just one serving of blueberries can provide as many antioxidants as five servings of carrots, apples, broccoli, or squash? Blueberries don't just provide antioxidant activity. Researchers have found that blueberries have the potential to improve motor skills and reverse short-term memory loss associated with aging. Elegiac acid, an antioxidant in blueberries and other berries, can also help prevent cancer. People who consume fruits high in elegiac acid are three times less likely to develop cancer than those who consume little or none. Lifelines, a public service of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, provides practical answers to common health questions. For more free health tips, call 877-LIFE-TIPS or visit VibrantLife.org. Newton Minow, the then chairman of the FCC, spoke to the National Association of Broadcasters on the topic of the vast wasteland on May 9, 1961. I invite you to sit down in front of your television set when your station goes on the air and stay there without a book, magazine, newspaper, profit and loss sheet, or rating book to distract you, and keep your eyes glued to that set until the station signs off. I can assure you, that you will observe a vast wasteland. With that in mind, here are some interesting facts about television in America today. And this is taken from Houston and White uh, from the University of Kansas. 99% of homes with electricity have televisions with an average of 2.4 television sets per household. For comp- comparison, each household has an average of 2.5 people. As of 2001, 60% of teens, 48% of school children, and 24% of toddlers have their own TV sets. 91% of TV homes have at least one VCR, and as of 2001, 6 million videotapes are rented daily. The average TV viewer has access to 75 channels, and some have up to 1,000. In the average home, the TV is on up to eight hours a day, with teens watching three hours a day. Women over 18 watch five hours a day. At this rate, that's nine years of TV if they lived to be 75 years old. Children spend more time watching television than in any other activity except sleep. And with this amount of exposure to the vast wasteland, it's no wonder that we have very little time to tune in to the Word of God. When we look at the world around us, 
we see so many distractions that divert our minds away from the Word of God to the worldly interests that exist. Uh, and television is but one of those. And when we live in this day and age, when we know the return of Christ is imminent, uh, we can see that uh, Satan is well at work trying to distract our attention. And uh, in the world this, uh, these days, we see a strong push towards an ecumenical uh, movement. The Vatican announced Tuesday that it planned to use canon law to create a special facet of the church for Anglican converters. It would allow Anglican priests and their parishioners to convert en masse. Some Anglican traditions would be preserved, like marriage privileges for priests. The move was directed toward traditional worshipers who have been disenchanted with the Anglican church. Many are against ordaining female and openly gay bishops and blessing same-sex marriages, but don't want to fully lose their theological identity. Pope Benedict's sudden move is bound to have a negative impact on ecumenical dialogue between the two communions. Anything that weakens the Church of England at a time of real embattlement with radically secularist agendas now underway must ultimately be a bad thing for the nation from a Christian perspective. A Roman Catholic chaplain from Ontario, Canada disagrees and while being interviewed by Canada's CTV says that while many in the church were surprised, the dialogue about unity between the two religions is not new. There's really been a, a long ongoing dialogue between Catholics and Anglicans um, and there's been a real push since the Second Vatican Council to bring about a, a full visible union between all the different Christian communities. And in our studio today, we've got Mario Sarek uh, here again. Uh, welcome, Mario. Thank you, Paul. Uh, and we want to look at a, a couple of the um, quotes that we, we've come across lately, uh, very recent, you know, during this year, that talk about the ecumenical movement and, and what it's based on and what are the merits of, of the ecumenical movement and where does it lead. Uh, and like I say, we were going to talk about this over a couple programs uh, th- this winter, um, but we just want to sort of touch the surface based on uh, some of the articles that we've, we've come across. Uh, the first uh, article is one that, that came uh, out of uh, Vatican City uh, in the uh, this past summer. And there's some interesting comments uh, talking about the uh, ecumenical movement and referring to a common denominator. A quote here from uh, Cardinal Turin uh, states that our common denominators, namely, in profound faith in God, and the noble principles and lofty moral values that constitute the essence of of religion. I'm not going to quote the entire article here because it goes on in length, um, but it points to, and it mentions in a few places, refers to a common denominator about w- what brings various religions, various denominations, various groups of people uh, together, because obviously there are many factors that separate uh, uh, several groups, but what actually brings them together. So maybe you want to start off with uh, with this, Mario. Um, I was thinking of common denominator when you said uh, being mathematician. I was thinking uh, when you combine two fractions, Paul, you always look for the lowest common denominator. And this kind of brings to my mind as we're looking at these different denominations, not just within the Christian world, but other religious. Uh, they're also involved in this interreligious dialogue with Vatican. Um, something comes to my mind that if you want a common denominator, Paul, um, you have to uh, put aside doctrines. Um, that each t- the denomination or each religion might hold. And this comes to things that, as a Christian, uh, our doctrine is important. Um, what they want to unite with this ecumenical, a lot of times, even though they bring in the spiritual aspect, 
is uh, if you look at the um, the six commandments of the Ten Commandments, a relation between man a man, and how do we relate to each other, and finding a common ground on those terms. Um, they are not bringing in the fact that um, if all the roads lead to uh, to salvation, um, we know that Jesus says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me." So he he was very firm in his words when he spoke um, with love to the people that there is only one way to salvation, really, and that's through him. Right, and an interesting point to to raise as well is uh, when. Doctrine is uh, spoken about, it's often reviewed in a negative light because it's used in the connotation that, oh, if you're using doctrine, you're being legalistic. Mm, It will be divisive, you know, it will divide us rather than unite us. So let's put aside the doctrines that divide us and let's find doctrine that maybe unites us. Right, right. But the thing is, uh, Christ was strong on, on doctrine, but was Christ legalistic? Not, not, no, not, because no. Uh, we can see that he expressed that, that he was doing God, his Father's will all the time. Mm-hmm. And instances says that he kept his Father's commandments. Mm-hmm. And that was because of love that uh, there was between them. Yeah. So doctrine, he's not hitting, you know, he's not hitting you over the head saying you must comply because these are the rules. Mm-hmm. It's, it's out of, out of love, out of the heart that these beliefs are founded. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we look at the Ten Commandments, um, unity is often based on the first six commandments, the relationship between men, mankind. Mm-hmm. And we talk about, oh, if you, get, you love your neighbor, um, you know, treating others well, and that's the golden rule. But the first four commandments, which is man's relationship with God, are often cast aside because that's where the so-called doctrine comes from. For instance, you know, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy and so on. Uh, people say, well, that, that's doctrinal. That, that's being legalistic by doing that. But it's no more legalistic than um, the commandment says, you know, that shall not kill. Mm-hmm. You know, are you being legalistic because you don't kill somebody? Are you being legalistic because you don't lie? Right. You do that out of love for others. Likewise, mm-hmm. we keep the first four commandments, which are doctrinal, out of love for God. You know, He loved us and we love Him. So it's not, we don't see that in a legalistic sense that we have to, you know, maintain doctrine. Um, when we look at some of the examples, uh, from, uh, scripture, I believe you have a, a couple there as well, Mario. Uh, one that comes to mind, uh, from uh, Matthew 22, Matthew chapter 22, verse uh, 22. Um, and just prior to that, uh, when the, when the people came up to him and they gave him the, the coin and, uh, you know, he said, you know, whose is this? And, mm-hmm. you know, he showed him and he said, whose picture is this? And they said, Caesar. And he says, well, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And in verse 22 it says, when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. You know, he wasn't being doctrinal in the sense of legalistic, but it, you know, it, it carried power when he spoke like that. And I think also Mark uh, one twenty two brings this fairly uh, well in. He says, And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. So, mm-hmm. you know, his doctrine was deep and they were, um, they, they, they connected the first four commandments between them individually and God. Because mm-hmm. that was what sin did. It broke mm-hmm. that relationship. And that through the doctrine, Jesus was going to establish 
that that was broken at one time way back. Mm-hmm. And so we don't, when people look at doctrine, they think it just sets dogmas or, or man's, you know, uh, rules. But this is more to that because all what Jesus taught was for man's benefit and his salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's another good example as well taken from uh, the book of Acts. Uh, you want to share that one as well, uh, Mario? Uh, come from Acts uh, chapter 12, verse 22. We don't necessarily need to read it, but maybe just give a bit of a background as to what happened there with Herod and, and James and the, the resulting effect from that. And uh, in Acts 12, this is where we read about King Herod. And I think uh, our listeners should uh, at one point take that and read that whole chapter. But this is where King Herod goes after um, the early Christians and persecutes them. Uh, he kills James and it pleases the people. And uh, he also takes Peter into prison. Um, but miraculously, uh, the Lord delivers him out of that prison. And uh, Herod becomes so angry that uh, he uh, he puts to death those that were the jailers, so to speak. And then he says, And Herod was highly displeased with them of Tyre and Sidon. But they came with one accord to him. And having made Blastus, the king's chamberlain, their friend, they desired peace, because their country was nourished by the king's country. So here was interesting. They came one accord to him, um, and they were desiring peace, Paul. You know, and it's interesting. What was the king Herod's response to this? He was he he wasn't very pleased with them. The way you know Peter apparently had escaped. He arrayed himself and he made a feast one day. And he sat upon his throne, and he made an oration unto them. So he gave them a speech. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, and not of a man. And in Acts 12:23, And immediately the angel of the Lord smote him, because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten of worms, and gave up the ghost. And in verse Acts 12:24, it's very interesting. It says, But the word of God grew and multiplied. It's interesting, and the, the first there's many points to be drawn out of there. But the first point that I that I really want to make is the fact that um, the word of God grew and it multiplied. Mm-hmm. Um, doctrine, which is really Christ's teachings, you know, doctrine, you know, to give it a a, a, a clearer term, his mm-hmm. teachings, um, grew and multiplied. You know, it's his teachings that unite people. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just a love for one another. But it's uh, his, you know, and for lack of a better word, doctrine that actually united people. The, the problem is, is when people want to rely on human uh, tradition, man-made tradition, opinions, suggestions, and they hold all of these above the Word of God. The Word of God is clear. I mean, the problem is when we want to put our own spin on it, our own agenda, our own teachings, and when our own teachings don't line up with the Word of God, they say, ah, that doctrine, we got to put it aside because they can't substantiate it in the Word of God. Well, think of uh, Jesus' time, too. Isn't that what uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came together on a common ground? And that was that they were angry with Jesus and his Word, especially his Word that he spoke, because many times they call him blasphemer and all kinds of things. It, because the Word, uh, it was that was what was convicting their hearts, you know, through working of the Holy Spirit. And I think it's interesting. They united. And as you remember uh, uh, of the high priest when he says when they brought Jesus, it's better that this man, one person, dies than the whole nation goes into, uh, you know, array. Because at one point they saw that everyone was following him, you know. Mm-hmm. They said the whole nation is following Jesus. Yeah. Because that was his word, you know, that, that uh, drove them. Yeah. Because, you know, quite often the biggest enemy of Christianity is Christians. 
because they mm. say they're Christians, but they don't live up to what the teachings or the doctrines of the Word of God teaches. You know, they're not Christ-like because they cho- choose to follow their own path. Well, it's like in Jesus' time, they said, well, we have Abraham. They start looking at their lineage back to Abraham and says, we come from Abraham, and he is our father. And Jesus addressed them that if you were truly follower of Abraham, you would have done just like Abraham did, and he was faithful to the Lord. Another point that came out of there, Mario, is the fact that they're talking about unity there. Mm-hmm. You know, it says they were in unity when they came to Herod, basically, but it was a false unity. Not all unity is true. I mean, you can have a, uh, a truthful unity and you can have a false unity. When we look at the ecumenical movement, it's a desire that there be unity. And that unity goes back to Scripture, which is, mm-hmm. is biblical, because yes. you know the Christ prayed for unity amongst his believers, amongst the followers, because they knew he knew that they had to be unified to do the work that he was calling them to do for it to be successful, for the message to successfully go to the world. Um, but the question is, <clears throat> the unity that we see being strived for through this ecumenical movement or this achieving of the lowest common denominator, to use the the papal terms. Um, is it a true unity? And, you know, it's interesting, too, to bring in that idea of peace because it says in that scripture that they're uh, seeking peace. Mm-hmm. Peace is a very noble objective, mm-hmm. but are, th- are they going about it the right way? Well, I think you were Martin Luther. He said, you know, peace, um, if possible, but truth at all costs. That's a statement by um, the reformer, Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. You know, it costs everything. It costs Jesus' life. And and they see that Jesus said, if you're following me, you know, the world is not going to like you. Mm-hmm. Not just the world itself, but also the ones who profess to be, you know, profess to be follower of Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they don't have the Spirit of God, they don't have His Word, um, yeah. uh, with it, them, it's easy to go become on the other side without realizing it, that you yeah. can be on the persecuting side. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, there's other biblical examples of how you can be wholly unified, but be completely wrong. You look at the Sanhedrin. They were unified on their decision, mm-hmm. you know, to crucify Christ. But were they right? No. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's possible to unify on the false side as opposed to the true side. And when you see an ecumenical movement that is looking at the lowest common denominator, putting aside doctrine which is apparently divisive because you can't come together because the the doctrine is often based on you know man's opinion or tradition. Um, they they look at that uh, division, try to put that aside, and you end up on a false unity because you're no longer based squarely on the Word of God. And I think, Paul, you know, bringing John 17 here might be a good time because that's um, this uh, reference to Jesus of unity. And it says, John 17:11. And now I'm no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to the Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. I thought it was interesting. They used the word Holy Father there. I think it's the only time, one time, Paul, in the New Testament that Jesus referred to his own Father as Holy Father. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting that there's another man on this earth that uses that title. Yeah, rather blasphemous. Rather, rather blasphemous. But in that context, the relationship between Father and his son. He says, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. The oneness that they refers to here is the oneness that 
that Jesus had with his father. Mm-hmm. Because quite often when we see that idea of unity, they, they'll use that verse to say um, that thou may be one. Mm-hmm. But they'll leave out as we are one. Exactly. So, you know, that, that idea of unity has to be based on the exact same unity that Christ had with his father. That unity in character, that unity in desire, the unity in thought, in, in everything. And, and it's again, it's a unity that's based on love. It's not done out of coercion. It's not forced on anybody. It's a free will decision that you must choose. Will I be one? Yeah, I think uh, all through there, John 17 is very nice to read because it says, I have given them thy word, and the world had hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Uh, And it's interesting, further down in 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. And here comes the word again, you know, Mm -hmm. that Jesus, his word is truth. And it has a sanctifying, has a... A, a, a power to change one's life. Mm-hmm. So the word of God, the unity desired for in the w- word of God that will take place amongst God's people prior to his His return will be based on God's word, God's teachings, his doctrine, all out of love for, for others and for love for God, based on the, the Ten Commandments of God. Um, and it will not be a false unity. It will be a true unity. But the false unity that uh, seems to be sweeping through will be cast aside because the true will stand apart. But also further down in 20 says, Neither prayer for these alone, meaning his disciples, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one as thou, Father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That's very powerful. Not only... The Christ's word, but the ones that were going to proclaim it are going to be the same word that Jesus desired through his spirit to be proclaimed. And that unity still be, um, we will recognize it because it will not go contrary to God's word. Yeah. And, you know, our time is pretty well up. I just want to close with one final comment, Mario. Uh, Christ in a couple of places in the scriptures often says, or has said, come out of her, my people. Mm. When we when we see a false unity, when we see uh, a unity that's taking place apart from God's word, God says, come out of her, my people. He's desiring for a true unity amongst his people based on his word. And this brings to an end our program for today. We hope you've enjoyed the presentation. If you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at radioreflection at yahoo.ca. That's radioreflection at yahoo.ca. Remember this week to take time to reflect on God's word and whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things.